All right, welcome to Permaculture Tonight. We've got Heather Jo Flores on tonight, coming in through my Go phone, so apologies for the sound quality. Heather Jo Flores is something unbelievable. She is an artist that views life as a medium to practice her art through. And permaculture just happens to be one of those mediums, just like her music, her painting, and a lot of other things that she does. So right now, she is starting a Food Not Lawns nationwide tour that was sponsored by a Kickstarter that is coming at the anniversary, almost 10 years now, of the release of her famous book, Food Not Lawns, which promotes urban permaculture. And she is kind of the face of urban permaculture right now. So let's, let's get into it. That's too funny. Anyway, so what do you want to talk about? Well, yeah. So I'm looking over at your site, which I love. Um, and I think the coolest thing about your site is the way, the way you, you're on your journey and the way you speak about it. I feel like it's applicable to everyone, but I wish everyone would like kind of like see it through this lens. Um, the way you talk about the limitless sense, uh, the limitless set of lenses through which to see the world, the way you talk about how you express yourself through media and your expressions come out as products. And those products are things like seeds and songs and stories, friendships, gardens and communities. But you know yourself and it's just so clear it's I, I love it and i really wish that more people could see this and could encounter you and and find this kind of place in themselves because and I, and i love the finding unity commonality and connection because all these things you're exploring the edge between these things and it's like we are the catalyst, you know, like we are the artisans of life. And it's like the, what you practice and the example you set, really inspiring. Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, that's, I think a lot of what you're speaking to comes from um, being educated as an interdisciplinary artist and really looking at the, the connection between art and activism and self-care and food and, you know, all these very things that I'm particularly interested in, but, but, you know, a lot of us are dabbling in all these different ways. Like you said, you're also a musician, and, and you know, I think we tend to compartmentalize um, these things, especially as activists. It's like, oh, I'm doing activism right now. I don't have time for music, you know, and then we forget that, like, playing our own music is actually essential for nurturing ourselves as an activist, for example, and, you know, and then it also, I think, connects to this the intersectionality um, with which, you know, we're sort of, we're learning to discuss ideas around race or, or gender or um, class, but uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, but you know, the, the interdisciplinarity and intersectionality, and to me, those are the, the best ways to approach things like planet care or just design 
in general, not um, not necessarily for a reason other than because it's creatively interesting. You know, it's, for me, it doesn't have as much to do with trying to save anything or trying to um, establish a better society. You know, it just has more to do with uh, following a curiosity. So, right. Right, and it's... You know, in some, some ways I think that that sort of disappoints people that, like, maybe I'm interviewing with or teaching, you know, they want me to be more, to be on more of a, a more of high ground or to be more sort of on a crusade. And I don't, um, I just don't feel, feel that way. Wait, but, but isn't curiosity a crusade that we can all get behind? It's, I mean, yeah, I, I would think so. I would hope so, you know, but I think that for a lot of people... They would say that's not enough, you know, that, like, just curiosity isn't going to save the planet, for example, you know, and I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that point of view, but, you know, I think that that's that's sort of a common critique of, you know, artists or people who choose to to just never never accept that there's a right answer, you know. I mean, sometimes in permaculture, depending on who your teacher is, they'll tell you exactly that, to keep looking for more answers, more answers, more answers, you know. But then, you know, other people will tell you that, you know, permaculture is the answer and we should all be, you know, you're either with us or you're against us kind of thing. Well, I think that permaculture is that, like, open design kind of thing where, I mean, even Bill Mollison talked about, you know, how you could literally, (laughs) instead of burning fossil fuel, you could pour it out into the sand of the desert and plant trees in it and grow a forest. And, like, you know, Iran actually did that. And it's not like, advisable, you know what I mean? But, like, you can do it. And, like, in his yeah. book's that way, too. If you read um, Permaculture Designer's Manual, I mean, he talks about cloud seeding in that and weather modification that people are afraid of. Yeah. But he handles it in the same breath as he would handle a swale, and he just keeps going. Yeah. Well, and he also, I mean, what I love um, the very first, edition of the permaculture design manual actually i don't know if you've had a chance to look at that or compare that with the the following editions because the very first edition has a lot of um very i mean it's kind of funny to say that it has more strong opinions than following editions because you know Malton is kind of famous for his assertions you know but but in the first one um he's really quite candid about um about these types of things, you know, he's like, whatever you, whatever you need to do, you know, pour gas in the ground, I don't care, you know, just do, do what you're going to do, and, and he's also very critical of things like consensus process, and, uh, you know, and, and talks about how, you know, getting caught up in, in social, um, social turmoil will undermine projects again and again, and how that's why, you know, he just only chooses to work with very small groups of people, and, and he really advocates that, you know, and then, of late, I think that the permaculture community in general, like, has sort of gone more towards, uh, you know, sort of like the the young anarchist ideal of, like, everything has to be consensus, everything has to be totally equal, everything, you know, has to be shared, uh, you know, perfectly measured out, and uh, and that's really not, not what most of us talking about at the beginning at all. Wait. So I think that's a really interesting evolution to watch it, you know, as it's happening. Yeah, so... Speak more to that. So I'm, you know, I'm in, 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 the, in the global sense of things, kind of a newbie to all this, but, I, but I'm really good at remembering things. So um, so you were saying anarchists, and, and then you were saying uh, all the socialist stuff. Yeah, well, you know, when I was a young, you know, 
know, kind of teenage runaway punk kid. And, you know, we have these, these sort of anarchist ideology of, like, consensus. You know, everything, everybody always being included all the time. Everybody's equal. Everybody has a share of the power. And, uh, and many, many times I would watch that, that ideal undo the actual work because we, you know, we spend so much time like arguing in meetings. It's so hard to achieve a consensus, a true consensus with more than like two or three people. Wow. You know, we were getting bogged down in the process, you know, and then eventually energy would die out for the project and the project just kind of wouldn't happen, you know? Wow. And then, and then when I started reading Paulson's stuff, or he was just like, yeah, forget consensus. It doesn't work. It's dysfunctional. Everybody's just talking all the time. Let's get some work done. Find two people that you agree with and just do projects that you agree need to get done. And then let the other people, you know, do whatever they want to do. And that really resonated with me, you know, as like a young, early permaculturist in like, you know, 99 or whatever. And then now, though, now I feel like my own understanding is sort of coming back towards the middle of understanding that, like, social justice and, um, you know, intersectionality and, you know, considering things like whether or not the women are getting um, credit for their work is, is important, which I do think it's important, you know, that, that sort of, that goes against a little bit of what Mollison was saying of, like, don't get preoccupied with social issues, just do the, the work on the earth. I mean, that kind, of, that kind of is the work on some levels also. So we have to sort of strike a balance now. But although going all the way back towards that original anarchist idea of like, oh, everything's equal, it's all consensus. I don't, I don't really think that's necessarily true. Like, if you've been working on a farm for 10 years, building it from the ground up with your design and working, 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 somebody shows up and moves in that day, I don't really think they should have a fair share in the decision-making just yet. Sort of integrate themselves into the, the, pro- the program, you know? Right. So Mollison actually, in certain countries, would only work with women. Um <laughs> And in, and there's actually a rant online about this where he's talking about um, and, and it's rather negative, but um, the positive end of it is that he he only works with women in certain countries, um, and in certain cultures, and so I, I well I think it's because what you're talking about you know he can't design properly he can't he, like he has to work with the women if he wants to avoid uh, social injustice you know what I mean. Uh, and like that's why Greg Mortensen is building schools for women in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and that's why in those areas you don't see you know terrorists coming back because the people are like no 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 no, we know what the Quran says, you know what I mean? You don't need to tell us any longer. Goodbye. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And it's and 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 the moms are the ones reading and they're te- you know what I mean? It just changes everything. So. Yeah, I am 100% there, and I think the whole idea of small, um, small, we were talking about this last night, and I think anarchy is the idea of no leaders, and so what you do is you have to form associations that are agreeable and equitable and egalitarian, well, I would say egalitarian, because yeah. it's, but that's, you can try. right. And, and and so, because you can't ever truly be equitable because that's all perception. So, right. right. And so I think that the whole, so we were talking, so Curtis Stone and I were talking about this last night. Things of scale. It's like everyone wants to scale things up and they want it bigger and they want to industrialize. But I don't think we want those things. I don't think, I don't think anything really works on an industrial level well. I mean, if you are going to go to a large scale, then that's when you need a very clear leader, 
you know. I mean, there's a reason that, that you know, traditional um, corporations, for example, that have a very clear, obvious leadership, um, there's a reason they're so successful. You know, I mean, maybe we don't like how successful they are or the way that they're successful, but they do, that structure, that pattern is, it, it functions. Is know? it an army, they, though? Like, yeah, it's an army. Armies function, you know, mm. and they have leadership, you mm. know, because they're huge, right? Or like a... Um, a film set, for example, you know, it's clear what the roles are, it's clear who the leader is, you know. But I wonder which in, came in first. A, yeah, what, armies or film sets? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, a which came first, whether it was, like, the structure of war and with the leader, or it was uh, the structure of society, because, I don't know, I think that... I think things were just a lot more fluid when we didn't have hierarchical structures that were so large. But we were so so much fewer on the planet at that point, you know. And I mean, my point is that like if it, if we want to avoid these leadership structures where it's like you're the boss and I'm not, then we have to keep our our projects small, you know. And when you only when you have, when there's three of you working together. You're both, you all know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. You know each other intimately when you've been working on a project for a couple of years together. And you sort of know, like, this person is just really the social media person. That's what they're into. That's what they do. They do it well. You know, this person is, is our best writer, you know, et cetera. And, and everybody just can kind of agree on it because it's just this little small group. So the leadership is very easy to share in an equal fashion. But the larger the group grows, the more complex the relationships become. And... And then usually, too, the more obvious it becomes that one person actually has stronger leadership skills than others, and then that's when conflict starts to emerge, you know, and unless people just adhere to that and they say, okay, well, we're big, and now we need a leader, and this is this person, you know? And so there's, I don't know, it's kind of a big topic, <laughs> a different topic than what we were talking about talking about, but... Um, well, let's connect it in. So sure. so you, you did this Kickstarter, and it, you became the edge between that connected a huge community of people and it was kind of and this tour you're doing right now because of that is kind of like the crest of this wave that has been built in years in building with your book food not lawns right yeah it's it's been um it's pretty cool to see all the support you know and like this current tour is five weeks this summer and i'm gonna be doing the midwest and the northeast and um, and that, those are books, or those are kids that were booked through the Kickstarter. You know, people supported the Kickstarter and compelled me to come to their community through that. And uh, but because of the the support from the Kickstarter and all the contacts and and new friends that I've made, then we're also going to be doing a tour in spring in um in the in the south. East. And then just today I was interacting with a woman who wants to help organize a tour in the Southwest. So I'm sort of running with this Edible Nation idea. And I mean, my, my vision is like within the next two years to go to every single state in, in the United States and connect with people that are doing food not lawns or food not lawns type of projects and, you know, take pictures and talk to them about what their approach is and how they're sort of turning their neighborhoods into communities, yards into gardens, you know, and, and why. Because I think I'm really curious, again, that curiosity, about, you know, what the real motivation is for people. Like, there's this sort of loftier, let's save the planet thing, but, but on a day-to-day, you know, basis, like, what is really making it happen for people, you know? So, it's going to be pretty interesting, you know? It's going to be super fun for the next couple of years to just 
see, you know, compare and contrast as climates change and as economic circumstances change, you know, from like big cities to suburban homes, et cetera. Yeah, it seems like everyone's migrating to the cities right now really fast. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm migrating out, personally. You know, I'm definitely on my way back to more of a farm-based life. And uh, that's sort of my secret agenda. I mean, you talked about my journey. You know, I think my my personal agenda with this tour is to explore a little bit more and find a place where I, I want to live on a long-term basis in a farming community. Because I really, I just... For me, it always comes back to the seeds. Like when, you know, these big questions come up of like, how can we, you know, save humanity? How can we save the planet? What can we do to, to make things equitable? You know, and for me, it's just the one thing that definitely is always worth doing is the seed saving. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's so wonderful. And it's just, it's, it's so meaningful. And it's just, I mean, just inherently meaningful. You don't have to, to analyze the meaning of it or impose meaning onto it or, you know, it's just... They just have intrinsic value with the seeds too, and I really appreciate that. It's so simple. I'm holding between my fingers right now two field peas. Um, oh, nice. And they're 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 green and speckled with like this cool purple color. And you know, I was holding two macadamia um, nut seeds like in their in their full shells and everything from PB2 last night during my conversation. I don't know, for some reason I like holding seeds like, because seeds hold all this potential and I feel like uh, I just want our, I, I want all these conversations, all these actions, all these ideas to be seeds that we like spread across the world and they go into everyone's heart and they go out and plant them into their friend's hearts and their family's heart and their community because that's what needs right to happen. That. It's what needs to happen. It is happening. It's just slowly and some seeds take longer to sprout than others you know um, I'm standing underneath a kiwi a hardy kiwi I'm in Portland Oregon um, in this incredible like neighborhood suburban food forest I mean I've just been totally blown away by this garden this afternoon and, and um, I'm standing underneath this hardy kiwi that is has like I don't know maybe a million flowers on it it's just going to be loaded with fruit and uh the, the woman uh, who was showing me her garden, she said that last year the only sign was only like half the size and it was kind of like doing okay. But this year it's just totally exploded with abundance. So it's really pretty exciting. The flowers smell so good. They smell just like kiwi, but in flower form. It's kind of sweeter here. Can you eat the flowers? <laughs> um, I just tried one actually while we were talking and it doesn't it taste very good. <laughs> So, and they, they have a lawn in their backyard, which is funny. They have this incredible food forest in the front yard, and then the backyard is landscaped more like a traditional front yard would be, but because they like hanging out back here and having little parties and stuff, and it's got a very appropriate use of lawn space. Yeah, absolutely. So what future projects are, 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 you, are, you, are you planning any, like, uh, documentaries? Are you going to be filming any of these travels? Well, I'm going to be doing, I definitely want to launch a podcast. I'm going to be doing a lot of audio recording while I'm traveling and just interviewing people about their projects and finding out what, what inspires them. And I'm going to come back with a, you know, a big file full of 
raw material from that. I'm hoping to edit that down into like a show that you know I can put out once a week and get um, people to contribute to in the future. I'm working on another book uh, that I hope to release next year. Next year will be the 10 years, not long anniversary, in fall of 2016. So I, I really want to release a, a follow-up to Food Not Long for that. Wow, that would be awesome. Those are those two yeah. projects would be awesome. Yeah, so I think that the the podcast would be more focused on like just gardening and community building, and you know, just kind of really in line with what I wrote about in Food Not Lawns. But the the new book is going to be more kind of genre crossing with a little bit more memoir and um, and some stories about kind of the the community that Food Not Lawns came out of, which was this like Eugene anarchist community in the '90s, who were very focused on direct action and mutual aid and. There's a lot of really great stories from that time that I really want to share. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for coming on and sharing and inspiring us. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I got to go plant seeds, you know. Uh, Get on out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've got a whole bag of them, so I'm going to do just that. All right, well, thank you that and um good luck with your show and all your projects and stuff and we'll be in touch okay all right all right talk to you soon take care all right you too bye all right that was heather and she is an amazing person and she is someone I love talking to and I think that you guys will love hearing from her. She is touring the nation so if you live near where she is traveling, please do not hesitate and go out and see her. All right, that's all for tonight on Permaculture Tonight. Have a good one.